reading can be found on page 1887 of the Church Bibles. The New Testament reading comes from 1 Peter 1, beginning at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word. Thank you that it's inspired by your Holy Spirit. We pray now, Lord, that you would open up your scripture to us, that you would encourage us, build us name we other, challenge us, and inspire us through your word. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Right, this is the second of our series in the letter of Peter, the first letter of Peter. And it's only three verses, so you have a false sense of optimism this morning. Um, I'm going to do my best to get through it. There's quite a lot of scripture that relates to what we're doing, so I am going to aim to unpack it a little bit. Um, it's a lovely, short passage this morning. Just a few words about this, this letter. It's apparently not regarded, and I suppose it, I found it easier than some, it's not regarded as particularly theologically complex. It's not one of the humdinger epistles that bangs you with the truth every half a second not quite the same as Romans for example and certainly not the same as Revelation but it's extremely important because it's Peter who actually was with Jesus for three years sharing in a very similar way to Saint Paul the eternal truths of the good news of Jesus it indicates I'm giving the game away here but you've probably worked this out anyway from the reading that um, non-Jews now, everyone in fact, if they respond in faith to what God has done, his graciousness and trust Jesus giving us his son, everyone who believes in that and trusts in Jesus is now a true successor of the people of God in the Old Testament, of Abraham, of Noah, of people who were star characters, above all Abraham, when it came to trusting in God and ultimately that's the thing that really matters. 1 Peter was widely known, well known and read in the early church. Um, it's always been seen from the earliest times as truly the work of 1 Peter and the inspired word of God. Uh, that's from the early church fathers sort of AD 95. This is one of the really rock solid letters and it does reflect his experiences in the Gospels and his great speeches in Acts, 
day of Pentecost, the first huge, amazingly powerful Christian sermon. Its teaching, it's been said, is exactly what you would expect from a disciple of Jesus who had actually walked with him. It has a first-hand familiarity about it. Uh, Peter was there in a way that Paul wasn't. There is one interesting thing about this letter, apparently, that it's very, very well written. It's in very classy literary Greek. So if you answer is, you'd say, well, how could a humble fisherman from Galilee write such stuff? The answer is possibly found a bit later on in um, 1 Peter 5, where we see that Silas is helping Paul in the writing of this. So it could be that Peter is dictating to Silas, his secretary, and Silas is a rather classy writer but however it was done it was the Holy Spirit who inspired this book and that's been recognized from a very early time so it clearly is written before AD 64-65 when Nero the Roman Emperor began his persecution of the Christians in Rome and of course Peter didn't uh, survive that nor did Paul and many other Christians so it's a very early letter and a very important one. Okay, let's just move on a little bit. I can. Clicker wasn't working last week. Can you click for me, Sue? Thank you. There we are, that's St. Peter for you. That was a quick one. And next one, please. We're only looking at these three verses. Sorry, Sue, I'm going to have to keep interrupting myself. Thank you. Our title this morning is This Salvation and the grace to come, we could also describe it as a passage about how our salvation of last week made known to us. And of course it links to the climax of last week's um, reading and the talk, verses 8 and 9 of this letter. Though you have not seen him, you love him, 1 Peter 1 verse 8. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And even though you, sorry, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls, the goal of your faith. And then verse 10, our passage today, concerning this salvation. So that's what this is about. It's helping the early church and us to understand much better all that's involved in our salvation. Um, this is a word thingy, I can't remember the name, a word cloud or a word something, but it pulls out the key elements of 1 Peter. And I don't know how well you can see it, I can see it quite well, but it has all those key words, salvation, faith, believe, Jesus, Christ, love, you know, it's all there. And the key words this morning are certainly there, faith, salvation, grace. And we're going to home in on two of them, like this particular passage. We're going to home in on, uh, he's the regular in, and grace. And what Paul, uh, what Peter, I keep saying Paul because he's the regular, isn't he? But Peter uh, here is contrasting the Old Testament prophets with New Testament Christians so those who were God's people under the old dispensation, the old covenant, and those of us who come along afterwards and through Jesus are part of that new covenant, the new dispensation. 
where the fullness of God's plan of salvation has been revealed. So the former, the prophets, the great men uh, in the Old Testament, they built the foundations for what comes later, for the greater blessings that we actually are privileged to have. So teaching here consistent with St. Paul, but really important stuff. This brief section reminds us that each person of the Trinity, each of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, has been involved since the beginning. We read similar passages in John chapter 1, the very famous passage we have often at uh, Christmas, in the beginning was the word. And also in Colossians 1, where in that little brilliant creed section, we understand that Jesus was there at the beginning. And the Holy Spirit Testament, doing stuff on earth in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, he has been there since the beginning. And God, uh, the Holy Spirit here is described as the Spirit of Christ in them. He's also described later on in this passage as the Holy Spirit from heaven. It's the same Holy Spirit who inspired the prophets and the preachers of the gospel, the early apostles and beyond. And he's been active, bringing forward God's plan of salvation from the very beginning. In Hebrews 3 verse 7, the writer says, probably Paul, but we don't know, as the Holy Spirit says, and then quotes Psalm 95. So in the Psalms, as long ago as that, they are seeing the Holy Spirit as actually saying things through the scripture, which of course is absolutely in line with the teaching that we have today. In John 15, verse 26, just a bit more about the Holy Spirit, Jesus tells his disciples that when the counselor comes, the helper, whom I will send to you from the Father, he sends the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And similarly, Spirit, in 16, I'll just uh, flick through to that, Jesus says a bit more about the Holy Spirit, who is to come in power at Pentecost, where, of course, Peter was present. He says this, uh, John, let's get this right. John 16, verses 13 to 15. Oops, I'm in the wrong section, my fault. Here we are. He says this, When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. And that is the key role of the Holy Spirit, to make Jesus known, to point us to him and to reveal God's truth. So all that we have here in the scripture is Spirit-inspired. Right. So we have continuity. The Holy Spirit was busy in the Old Testament. He was there at creation, as was Jesus. And now through these wonderful scriptures, he's bringing us more of the whilst death. However, 
This passage says an awful lot about the prophets, that whilst they were Holy Spirit inspired, their knowledge fell short of everything. They knew so much, but not everything. And they were therefore, as we are, somewhat limited in terms of having a complete understanding of all the wonders of the truth which they preached about, which they spoke about. And we have this bit at the end of uh, these three verses where the angels even long to look into these things. We are having truth shared with us, and the early church was by Peter, which the angels are excited about and trying to fully understand. And the prophets didn't even fully understand it. And we go back, this fits with Revelation last week when we looked at chapter 20, where Jesus himself said something really important to us. Matthew 13, verses 16 and 17. Blessed are your eyes, this is Jesus talking to Peter and the disciples, the other disciples. Blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So the disciples were especially privileged to be with Jesus for those three years. And more fully the salvation that he is bringing Right, and the point of this passage really, in terms of our response is, we should be really, really humbled and grateful and encouraged that we have access to a level of understanding and wonderful things through the work of the Trinity that even the prophets didn't have and even King David didn't have and the great heroes of the Old Testament, we are especially blessed. But, of course, even in that blessed position that we're in, with all the wonderful teaching we have in the New Testament, we don't yet fully understand. So we've got to stay humble and hang on to the truths that have been revealed because we have more than enough here for our salvation. I just want to please Matt by sharing a few uh, things from one of his favourite authors, John Piper, who, on this passage, talks about what our salvation involves. I'm just going to throw it out very quickly. Um, later on in Peter, we hear that Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. So he died to deal with sin. That's something we regularly hear and talk about. Later on in 1 Peter as well, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we forgiveness and offer to sin. And that's part of our salvation. It's not just getting a bit of forgiveness and off we go. It's actually dealing with deep things of sin and that we might die to sin and by his wounds we are healed. In 1 Peter 5 verse 8, again 1 Peter, the devil is prowling about seeking who he might devour. And again, our salvation involves the defeat of the devil and all his works and the death that is ours if we don't have eternal life, if we don't have that promise of being with Jesus forever. And because of this, the victory of his, self, of his um, cross and the resurrection, we have that forgiveness too. And finally, Peter, what are we saved from, says, we need to be saved really from the guilt that is associated with our sinfulness. We sh we don't, we're not going to have that load anymore. Our salvation is to clear the decks completely and give us fellowship again with the Father. 
And more interestingly, in some ways, because we're, we're all quite familiar with that, is what John Piper says about what do we need to be saved for? You know, we, we pray that prayer of forgiveness, we become Christians, and what next? What, what's the future? Again, it's 1 Peter, later on in verse 2. You are continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So our salvation involves being protected by the good shepherd who will look after us, even when we fail, as we often do. And then, again in 1 Peter chapter 5, the God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. We are saved. Our salvation involves being saved to share in the glory of Christ, to be co-heirs with him. All that Jesus inherits as the Son of God is ours, as St. Paul writes in Ephesians 1. So there you have it. We're saved from all the consequences of our sin, but we're saved for an eternal glory that we share with Jesus. It's too much for us, these, these truths, in a way, isn't it? I'm going to be frivolous now, but it's a lot more than just, you know, things are a bit better and lives are worthwhile, you become a Christian, you become happy. It's much deeper, but I'm going to be frivolous now. I was determined to do this. Some old-fashioned Christians sometimes say, are you saved, brother? I don't hear it so much now. Ephesians says it's a much deeper thing than even the great Gordon Banks. I'm showing my age. That's a pretty good uh, save, but because here's the next one, the famous one. Sue. <laughs> this is the frivolous bit. And again, I don't know why it did that. That is the most famous save by a great goalkeeper that there's ever been. And I saw it live and naughtily when I should have been revising for my O-levels, probably late at night in 1970. Um, that famous save from Pelé's header. Now that's shallow salvation, that kind of saving like that. But there's something massively bigger about this salvation which Peter's referring to here. And it only comes through Jesus. The Son carries out God's plan, and the Holy Spirit makes it known. And going on to the next one, we move through towards grace. The grace of God is immense kindness, the depth of our salvation. And this is the absolute truth that is the essence of our faith. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other way, no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's through Jesus alone. And yet all we have to do is trust in him. John Wesley said about this salvation, we're going to go to on, to, on into grace in a minute, it is far beyond all that was experienced under the Jewish dispensation, the old covenant. But whatever anybody could have experienced and understood in the Old Testament. But... It was all part of what John Wesley described as an abundant and overflowing grace to be bestowed upon believers under the Christian dispensation. So there's this contrast between the prophets and us. We are especially blessed because this grace has been much more revealed through Jesus and secured through his death and resurrection and I think he, he said something rather nice about what we should do with passages like this and the whole of 1 Peter. Um, 
He said that this careful searching into what was to come, which the angels were doing, is like miners searching after precious ore, digging deep into God's truth, trying to understand more fully the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Right. I'm going to just end on verse 12 and pick out some of the truth that's in there. There's a lovely reassurance here that the prophets may have missed out a little bit. They were proclaiming all sorts of truth extremely courageously. But it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. They knew that their word prophecies really mattered for the people they were talking to and to those who were to follow. That's nice. They didn't know everything. They didn't need to know everything. But they did know that what they were doing and sharing made a difference because it was God's truth inspired by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And this bit about even angels long to look into these things. It's present tense. So the angels probably are still, you know, trying to understand fully the wonders of this salvation that we have available to us and this grace that God is bestowing upon us. In the Greek, apparently, the, to look into, the angels uh, long uh, to look into things and understand them. It's the same verb as is used in John 20, verse 5. It's when John, having heard that Jesus had risen from the dead, the stone was rolled away, uh, John rushed to the tomb. And Peter rushed to the tomb, this Peter. John got there first. And what did he do? He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And when it says he bent, looked in, that's it. It's kind of peering. The angels are trying to look at the next amazing truth of God's grace and his salvation. Peter, typically, although he arrived later, he went straight into the tomb, didn't he? That was Peter. He rushed in and he saw and believed. So that is probably where things really did begin to, to come through to Peter. He fully understood the wonders of what his Lord had done. This is the same Peter who had denied him three times, who was completely shattered by Jesus' death. But this is the point at which he saw and believed. It's a very eager, intense kind of looking. So the angels are not really nosy parkers, but they are, you know, looking, they're eager. They, they are absolutely enthralled by the wonders of this salvation that you and I have on offer. And when we've accepted it through God's grace, gives us the amazing glories of our future. Although none of us fully understand it, but God has it in hand. So from this passage, um, we should be encouraged. We should be amazed at God's grace remembering that even the angels who are in the very presence of God and see his glory although time is not really an issue in heaven salvation they are spellbound and excited by the wonderful salvation and the grace that has been lavished upon us undeserving sinners that's what this short passage is giving us the sense of. 
And you can sense the excitement, the eagerness of Peter in sharing this. He knows it's true. Let's just be still and respond in whatever way the Lord inspires us to respond. Father, we thank you for the wonders of your plan of salvation, for your wonderful grace that sent Jesus, that he might die, deal with our sins, deal with death, and rise again in glory. And we thank you, Father, that you did all that for us, that it was there as part of your plan of salvation at the earliest times. And Lord, please help us not to treat it lightly, to be frivolous, to be careless, or to be ungrateful. Lord, help us to more and more seek to understand the wonderful nature of your love for us and all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.